podcast one production. Hey, I'm sports journalist Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game. I first met Laura Geitz while I was working as a sports reporter for Channel 9 in Queensland. Laura is sporting royalty in the Sunshine State, a superstar of Australian sport and a netball legend. There's nothing in the game that she hasn't achieved. Captain of the Australian women's netball team, the Diamonds, 71 caps for Australia, Commonwealth Games gold, World Cup gold, three national netball championships, and she's a Suncorp Team Girls ambassador. But achievements don't make a true champion. And what has always struck me about Laura is that she is simply the loveliest person in the world. She is wholesome and kind, humble and caring. She may be this fierce, intimidating figure on court, but she has this country charm that's warm and friendly off it. Netball and the diamonds sparkled under her leadership, but there were times when she almost gave it all away. Now, I mentioned Laura was a country girl, and it all started for her in the small rural town of Allera in Queensland. I grew up on a cattle and grain farm, so my childhood was outdoors, um, helping my dad on the farm, which now I completely understand how much I took that for granted, looking back on how lucky I was to have that childhood in the country. You know, I was surrounded by um, animals. I could ride my bike anywhere. You know, I learned to drive the ute when I was eight years old, you know, just everything (laughs) that you basically completely take for granted. But um, in terms of me as a person, I was really, really shy. I remember mum saying to me as I got older that when I'd go to the the Allura Cup price with her, the little supermarket in town. Um, there used to be a man there called Lindsay May and she said you would never say hello to him when it got to the point that she had to give me a lolly when we'd get in the car after um, leaving the shop just because I was just such a shy little girl. I find that so hard to believe. When did it change? When did you stop being shy? I think there's that element in me still. There's definitely times that I do get quite nervous or, or there is that element of shyness. And um, it all changed when I started playing sport and particularly netball. You know, I I had no other option but to interact and, and speak with people and, you know, put my opinion forward and, and say how I felt and be put in really uncomfortable situations um, that just, I think, makes you grow as a person. So, yeah, a lot of people, that's every one's reaction is, I can't imagine you being shy. And, and even when I tell my husband, he's like, you can talk underwater. Um, I can't imagine you ever being quiet. And now I've got this three-year-old who just yaps, yaps, yaps. And I say to Mark, oh my gosh, I just need some quiet time. He goes, try living with two of you. Um, so yeah, I would have to say sport was probably the big vehicle in transforming me in that way. So how did you get into sport then? Um, I think like any country kid, sport is, you know, a huge part of the the fabric of, of the community. Um, mm. So I played every sport that you could possibly imagine or every sport that was on offer in, in our little town. Um, I wasn't introduced to netball until I was a little bit older, 13 years of age. And that was when I went to a high, a high school. Because netball is one of those sports that people start really early, like in under sixes and under eights, mm, but that's yeah. quite late, under 13s or to be yeah. 13. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, I did, I did touch footy, I did athletics, swimming and um, tennis, everything. And, you know, I, I often think that 
The great thing about growing up playing country sport is it's the boys versus the girls, the kids versus the adults. <laughs> and and for those that have that competitive drive and desire, which I always had, um, it was always about beating the boy that was a couple of age groups above you. I still remember William Gilmore at my primary school. He was the fastest boy and I used to just race him 100 metres <laughs> And I remember the day that I beat him, it was, you know, it was probably a career highlight for me. And, you know, it's it's funny because that's the great thing about country sport is that um, I think, you know, you you pushed outside your comfort zone again by, by mixing it with others. Mm. And yeah, and then when I found netball at 13 years of age, I absolutely just fell in love with this game. I loved being active. I loved being sporty, but nothing compared to this game of netball. And <laughs> yeah, and I was so happy to to play netball for the rest of my life and, and do nothing else. I love you talking about um, country areas because where you came from in the Darling Downs are some of Australia's greatest sporting superstars. What is it about these country areas uh, that produce such great sporting talents? Yourself, Darren Lockyer, heaps from from where you're from. Yeah, it's interesting. I I think first and foremost, it's the amount of sport that is played. Um, it's the way the community comes together. So I think it's always there. It's always present and it's present in your life from an early age. Mm. And I think the other big thing is, uh, I mentioned I grew up on a cattle and grain farm and, you know, my my parents worked the farm, particularly my dad. And I think just seeing that from an early young age in terms of the seasons don't go to plan mm. and you naturally reap what you sow and you see that first and foremost. And there's some really tough years. You know, I remember 1994, we had no rainwater. I remember we had to buy water the crops just died. There was, you know, if you don't harvest the crop that season, then what do you rely on for the coming months? And there's a certain amount of resilience that is instilled in you from a really young age. And I think um, in this current landscape of the world and what Mm. it is at the moment, resilience is such a spoken about topic. And how do you develop resilience? Well, from seeing it, from a very, very young, early age, I think it it really held me in good stead in terms of, of the sporting world and professional sport and understanding that things don't always go mm. to plan and you can put your tail between your legs and walk away or you can just buckle up and get on with it. And I think that's a really, really important element to professional sporting life. And I think that's why we see a lot of country kids that come through and make it because that's all they've known from a very, very young age. You talked about when you first found netball. Um, Were you good straight away when you first started playing netball? You were pretty tall from an early age, weren't you? (laughs) I was woeful, Sam. I was (laughs) I was so bad. I was my initials LG. I became known as Little Giraffe to all my school friends, Um, and that's exactly what I was. I was all limbs. You know, at thirteen years of age, I was six foot one, as tall as I am now. I had this huge growth spurt, and I remember the netball coaches going, "We've got to get her. She's going to be amazing." (laughs) Um, And they they threw the the goal shooter bib on me, and. 
and literally put me under the post and thought I could shoot and I couldn't shoot. And I remember this one particular game, I used to shoot and miss and rebound my own shot. But because I was, you know, a good two foot taller than everyone, no one would get near me for the rebound. I remember <laughs> the, the centre from the opposing team saying on the outside edge of the circle, for goodness sake, put us all out of our misery and just sink the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> the opposing goal shooter and keeper was sitting on the ground because they hadn't seen the ball for so long. <laughs> and the coaches that, you know, thought that I was going to be this amazing superstar were sitting on the side line with their heads in their hands going, oh gosh, can we send her back to where we found it? <laughs> so I was I was terrible. And, you know, it, I was really pretty much a lost cause. And then they thought, oh, put her down the defensive end and, and Just see. pretty good at rebounding. We'll yes, try that out. yeah, surely she can help down that end. And it was funny. It was like I, you know, unleashed this lion. I just loved the fact of, of being able to take intercepts and rebounds and get tips. And mm. um, I could be this different person. I could add value on the court and in another position. And, and that's where it all began. Were you a bit self-conscious being so tall, six foot one at the age of 13? Is that like your seven, year eight for you? Absolutely. Um, you know, I did everything that you could possibly imagine to take you know, a couple of centimetres off my height. I was really awkward in situations like school assembly where I was as tall as the year 12 boys. Um, Mm. And those moments, you know, I remember walking in assembly, you know, just feeling those year 12s look at me and go, oh my gosh, look at that girl in year eight. She's as tall as us, if not taller. Mm. And I I just stuck out. and, And it was funny because Everywhere apart from the netball court, I hated everything about the way that I looked. And then once I got on the netball court, I could use everything that I had to my advantage Mm. and loved it. And that's why I felt like I did. I became a different person on the court. It was, you know, we talk about white line fever and I, it was, you know, a, a bit of a white line fever in a different way. I was this really shy, uncertain person on one side of the sideline and on the other, I was this confident athlete that felt like I could, you know, win games and and be whoever I wanted to be. Um, So it was that 60 minutes that, you know, I could transform and be somebody, somebody else than that shy, shy girl. (laughs) Um, Was there bullying that came along with with being so shy and and being so different by being so so tall and much taller than everyone else? Absolutely. You know, um, through through my entire high school years, and I, I really struggled with that because, you know, I, I came from a primary school where it was very small and everyone was so lovely. And that's obviously, you know, a sign of the times when you hit that year nine, it's a really difficult time for mm. young girls. Um, you know, bodies start changing mm. and, and opinions start being put out there. And then there's the element of boys. And I went to a, a co-ed school and, you know, there was so many times that I used to look at the the girls in my class that were just normal or I classed them as being just normal and I used to wish and want to be one of those girls. And I, I remember having the conversations with my parents about, I just want to be normal. Um, <laughs> you know, I just want to fit in. And, you know, dad said to me, there's going to be a day that you are going to love being as tall as you are. And I want you to always stand tall and keep your shoulders back. And I thought to myself, well, come and spend a day at school with me because um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's not, it's not that positive. So, um, 
And Sam, from year eight all the way through to year 12, to the point that I remember leaving school on my last day of year 12, and it was still happening then. And I I bumped into one of the girls in my class after we'd finished school, and she came up to me of all places. We were out one night and she came up and she said, I've not been able to live with myself for the way that I treated you on our last day uh, in year 12. Um, And I just want to apologise. And, you know, I thought, that's great. Thank you. But you know, it's, it's when you're living and breathing it, it's Mm. so difficult. Um, when you come out on the other side and you reflect, you think, well, it was actually probably one of my biggest motivators as well. I was going to say, um, was motivation never a problem for you? Yeah, I think, you know, as I progressed in those later years of, you know, from 15 through to those final years of high school, that's when netball for me really started taking off. And I spent quite a lot of time coming to Brisbane training and being involved in the teams. And all of a sudden I was introduced to this group of girls that were very like-minded, that looked very similar to me, that embraced the game that I embraced. And all of a all of a sudden I, I found this different tribe, you know, mm. people um, that I wanted to be around and people that I felt valued me. And from that, you know, I'd go to school during the week and I'd, I'd be with girls that were the opposite and were questioning me on why are you going away every weekend and training for netball? You know, we've got this party on and why don't you ever come to, you know, and, and start having a bit of a social life. But the truth was, you know, the weekends were... I was socialising with people that I really actually enjoyed being Mm. around. So they became probably, as I progressed through my career, those people that didn't embrace me for who I was or celebrate where I was heading did become my biggest motivators. And, you know, when I played or was lucky enough to play for Queensland and and Australia and singing that national anthem on the transverse line, the first people that come to your mind are the people that made your journey difficult and told you that you wouldn't get there. Mm. And and that is such a wonderful thing to stand there and go, well, here I am. And, and you know, um, you never believed in me, but the truth was I believed in myself and and that's that's what truly mattered. I had no idea that you you suffered bullying like that during during high school and it right through to year 12. We normally hear about people sport being just such an oasis or um, helps people avoid bullying if they're good at sport, but it seemed it, it didn't make a difference too much for you in terms of how the bullies treated you. No, it didn't. Um, and you know, I I think too, and this is what I just I say to so many young girls that you know ever have questions about bullying is at the time that it was happening, did I enjoy it? No, absolutely not. Did I wish for it to stop? Absolutely, every single day. When you're living and breathing something, it's really difficult to see any good that's that's happening. But now, you know however many years later, gosh, I don't want to disclose that because it really shows how old I am. But, you know, you look back and you go, they were a really significant part of my journey. Mm. And if I didn't have if I didn't have them a part of it, would I have had that motivation to to carry on? And probably not, you know, they they were probably something that was sent to really push me on the path that I, I had to go down. These were days before social media and obviously bullying is such a problem for, for kids with social media these days, but was it just because of your height or was it, what kind of things or bullying did they, did they say or did they do? 
Yeah, it was just, yeah, particularly the way, the, my height. And I think because I had started playing netball, as I mentioned, and I was removed from, from that inner sanctum of, of the network at school and I started spending time outside of, of that bubble, you know, I naturally became a bit of a black swan. I think, you know, I wasn't part of, of that inner sanctum and I was stepping outside and associating with other people. And as a result, you know, I was... I suppose, um, just wasn't appreciated by those around me. And, and it's funny because I had such a great group of really close girlfriends that it didn't matter to, and they still remain to this day, my best mates. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I, I think without them, like they were, were such solid, solid friends. And I think, as your journey goes, you know, you do come across some really, really solid people that will stand by you in the good times and the bad. And it's just so important to nurture and, and realise how lucky you are to have those friendships. So when did things start getting serious for you with netball? Probably when I was in year 12. Um, yeah, I was, it was 2005 and I was invited down to the AIS to, um, trial as an invitee for the Australian 21 and under team. Um, one of the girls, Susan Furman, the goalkeeper had injured herself. So I was pulled in um, just to go down. Invitee means you're just there to basically make up the numbers and get experience. Mm -hmm. And on the last night of that three-day camp, I was invited into Norma Plummer's office, who was the Australian national coach at the time, <laughs> and the coach of the 21s, Michelle Wilkins. And they said to me, we've been really impressed with you, particularly your you get your game, um, your time out on court and matching it with some of the other girls um, that we want to elevate you into the squad. Um, this would mean that if we decided you would um, be selected in the team to travel to Florida. Um, yeah, in <laughs> in a couple of months. And I remember saying to them, I, I don't even have a passport, you know, <laughs> like you're talking to a 17-year-old a girl yeah. from Warwick. Um, and I remember saying, I'm just going to have to go outside and call mum and dad and make sure it's okay because I'd have to, you know, I'd be missing out on a few weeks of school. And I remember Norma's face just being like, is this girl for real? <laughs> you're like, I thought Brisbane was big. Yeah. Florida's yeah. huge. <laughs> exactly. And long story short, I made that team and that was um, that was my first introduction into the Aussie team. And then, yeah, from that point on, it just, it seemed to progress. I moved to the AIS as soon as I finished school and, and that was where my career really began to flourish. That must have been a huge step moving away from um, your country town and, and Queensland going down to Canberra and being away from home, especially if you said that you were such a shy girl as well. That would have been a huge change for you. I remember crying from our garage in Allara to basically when we landed in Canberra. And when I say we, I was, um, I travelled with Claire McMinimum, who was a good friend now and, and came from Warwick originally. Um, and she was also heading down for a scholarship year. And it was her second year. And she said, Guys, are you going to be fine? You're going to love it. And I just remember thinking, There is <laughs> like nothing that I'm going to love about this place. Because the truth was, I'd never left home. Um, I was such a homebody. I loved, you know, the farm life. So to think of going to this establishment in the city where there was no animals, where there was, you know, concrete.
concrete walls and training no facilities. <laughs> yeah, it was just like this. I miss the kangaroos. Exactly. Well, you know, I was I was pleasantly surprised when I arrived to Canberra to see that there was true, kangaroos hopping true, around true. the AIS, which yep. was nice. Um, but yeah, I hated the first month I was there and it turned out to be the best two years of my life. So much that I loved the first year I went back for, for round two. So was Florida your first trip away for the, for the Diamonds? It was, yeah. So that was my my very first um, tour for the Australian team away. Um, I didn't sleep. It was a two-week tour and I did not sleep one single night. I had so much anxiety around being away from home. Um, I was rooming with Natalie Medhurst mm-hmm. and we were rooming right next to the team room, which had all the food. So we we found out that the door between our room and the team room was unlocked. So we lived off <laughs> these ridiculous muffins because every every piece of food over there felt like it was just coated in sugar. Yeah. And we just had the best time. It was just, you know, it was my introduction into how much fun it is to to travel away with a team and, and be a part of, of representing your country. What did it mean to you and what was it like when you pulled on that green and gold dress for the first time? I think I was probably a little bit too young at at that particular tournament to understand. I think I was Mm. just probably in just awe of the people that I was around more so than the fact that I was there. I felt like I was just you know, there to to kind of see how things were going. I wasn't an option on court as such, um, and I was so happy with that. And but I think in two thousand and eight, when I was then selected to be a part of the Diamonds, um, that was when it became very real for me. I remember I was actually rooming with Kath Cox my first tour, and we'd just been given our dresses. And I remember just. She walked in on me, actually. I was just, we were just in a, a hotel room and I just remember I had my dress in my hands, just looking at my name on the back of my dress and then I'd flip it over and I'd have a look at the crest on the, you know, on the chest and then I'd flip it back over and have a look <laughs> at my name and I just could not believe that this moment had happened and probably, you know, when we talk about moments where you realise or role models or or those really, really influential moments. It was, for me, it was Kathy Freeman winning the 400 metres. And mm. I remember at, you know, a primary school girl watching that in my living room going, I want there to be a day where I wear the green and gold and represent my country and mm. I, win, I want to win a gold medal. And I think then transferring that across to even though it wasn't, you know, athletics or it wasn't the Olympics, it was the first time that I had the real deal of the green and gold in my hand um, with my name on it. And it was just, it was just that moment that it really hit me that, you know, here's my opportunity and my, my turn. You really saw a golden era for the Firebirds. In 2011, your team went undefeated for the whole season and and you won the grand final. That's unbelievable. You don't see that often in any sport at all to go undefeated and win the grand final. Then in 2015 and 2016, you went back-to-back championships. And I have to say, it's one of the most exciting grand finals I've ever been able to to see going into double extra time. I think it was 14 different changes of, of the lead throughout the match. How special were those years for netball, for yourself, being a part of that Firebirds side? I think what the most special part about that 
success at the Firebirds was that prior to the success, we were the wooden spooners and we were known as the the easy beats, basically. And I think, you know, it was that was brought to our attention as a group of players from players that had come into state to join the Firebirds. And it was funny because no one ever wanted to join the Firebirds culture because we just weren't successful. Mm. Um, so we had to take a really hard, long look at ourselves as to what we weren't doing and whether we were happy just to be there to make up numbers or whether we wanted to be serious contenders. That um, brings mm. along a lot of genuine, hard conversations at times. And I think that's probably one of the most satisfying parts about that success was building a successful culture and building a culture or being a part of building that culture where all of a sudden we were the easy beats that no one wanted to be a part of and all of a sudden we were this successful club that could go undefeated for a season, something that no other club has ever done. <laughs> and all of a sudden, people wanted to come and be a part of, of our team. And um, that just wasn't built on the back of, of Rose, the coach or the captain or the vice captain or the leadership mm. group. It was every single player that wore that purple uniform that brought something really special to the Firebirds. I was going to say, how do you change a culture? How do you go from from dead last to winning an undefeated season? Well, I think it's really important to experience the dead last because you know how how rubbish it is to be at the bottom of the pile mm. and you can't replicate that in any other way. So you know what it's like to be laughed at and you know what it's like to, yeah, to, to be the wooden spooners and that builds a certain desire, which I think is hard to be replicated any other way. Um, I think it's understanding the women that you have in the team and understanding that no one is the same and making every person in that team realise what their strengths are and what sets them apart from the other girls in the team and letting them live up to their strengths and, and making them feel like they have a special part in the team to, to play according to what strengths they have. And I think building a culture doesn't happen overnight. And there can be some challenging moments, that's for sure, but it's getting everyone on the same page and everyone very aware of where you want the team to head and everyone buying into that and doing their piece to get you to the very end. And I must say, one of the biggest reasons as to why we won that year was we were so fit and strong. We completed a preseason like no other. Mm. And even in 2015 and 16, same thing. Our fitness, our strength and conditioning program was, it was the best out of any team. Mm. And we had every girl so fit and strong with very, very limited injuries through the entire season, which made Rose's mm. job wonderful to pick from whoever she wanted. And, you know, once we got to the game, it was like a walk in the park because we'd done the hard work. Mm. We had, we'd, we'd done so, you know, it was, it was honestly like rocking up to the game and this just being like, all right, well, we know that it can't get any harder than what we've done. Mm. So I think for the individual, 
for an athlete's point of view, knowing that you've done the hard preparation and knowing you've ticked all the boxes holds a sense of confidence. And you know that, you know, whatever's going to be thrown out to you on court, you've, you've got because you've, you've done the hard yards already. It was such a great fairy tale, wasn't it, that 2015 and 2016, both against New South Wales Swifts in the final. Have you ever gone back and watched that game? I actually haven't. No, the only time I see the game is when, you know, it's it's played at a lunch or or <laughs> something along those lines. But it's so funny because whilst they those girls that you achieve that with are you are some of your best mates. You do lose touch. You you keep in contact mm. with what what each other's doing over Instagram, but it's not like we speak regularly. And then I had the conversation the other day um, with Chelsea Pittman, you know, through a, mm. a, a work chat. And we both just messaged each, each other at the end saying, it just, it feels like you just pick up where you left off. Mm. And it's so funny because the time just flies, but you you always constantly bonded by this really special moment. And 100%, I think, you know, we will probably have a 10-year reunion next year and we might all sit around with a glass of wine and we'll might watch the game and we'll have Rose there and we'll have Nan the manager <laughs> and, and everyone that was a part of it and, you know, look back and, and I feel like they're the moments when I want to sit and watch the games. I'm just not ready. I'm not ready to do it at the moment. That game was also so special, that grand final win, because at the time you were nine, eight or nine weeks pregnant. Yeah. Uh, you just got to wonder, I remember being nine weeks pregnant, Laura, and I'm like, how on earth did you play a match like that? <laughs> being oh, nine Sam, weeks pregnant. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. And, oh, Sam, I, I remember being so sick <laughs> and I don't know. I told the girls after that win that I was pregnant. I'd kept it from everyone <gasps> apart from the team doctor. I remember having the conversation with um, Sharon saying to her, on the grand final, I walked out on the court at Boondle and I said to her, she said, are you okay? And I said, Sharon, what happens if I need to be, if I need to be sick? Because that's yeah. how I feel. And she said, I'm just going to leave you a bucket at the end of this stadium, this end and this stadium for this end. And if you have to, you just have to call time and you just have to run to the bucket. Oh my and God, I, could you imagine? I, wow. And I honestly, Sharon and I were the only two people that knew that there was that bucket there. And Not even Rose, the coach, knew. No, I don't know how Rose did not clue yeah. onto it, particularly the fact that every halftime of those finals, I would clean up the platter of sandwiches in the change room <laughs> while she was giving a halftime chat. And I was just over at the sandwiches during the middle of the game, like going, this is, I need this to survive. So, oh, I don't know how you did it. You're just a superwoman. Um, you're an ambassador for Suncorp Team Girls. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? What is the program all about? Yeah, I've been lucky enough to be working with some Suncorp and the Team Girls movement for a few years now. And I particularly love this messaging around mm. building a nation of confident girls that naturally turn into confident women. And a huge um, driving force behind that is involvement in sport. And, you know, the research that Suncorp have done mm. just is incredible mm. to see dropout rates of, of young girls at influential ages um, because other things take over in their life. But, you know, the importance of that constant of sport in a young girl's life and, and what it what it gives to them as they grow up. And, you know, I've just been talking about mm. it in terms of of what was the what was the thing that transformed you 
from that shy girl. It was sport. It was, you know, this network of people. It was this thing that pushed me out my comfort zone, outside my comfort zone without me knowing I was being pushed outside my comfort zone. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I was learning new things about myself. I was starting to realise that I was so much more capable of doing these things that I never thought I would have been able to do without that vehicle of sport. So, you know, through clinics, through conversations um, with our young generation today, we know that whilst there's so many opportunities for our young generation, there's always or there is so many challenges for our young women, um, whether it be through social media, bullying, whatever. And it's just getting that message out there of, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be netball, but find find something that you love, find something that puts you in a network with like-minded people and stick at it because the long-term benefits for those girls that play some form of sport has such a positive influence on life as you become older. And it is, it's just about creating that nation of very, very confident girls. But if there was a girl right now who's listening to this who thinks it's uncool or wants to give up or doesn't feel comfortable playing sport anymore. And she is hitting that 14, 15, year nine, you said, was such a difficult age for young girls. If if you could talk to her now, what would you say to her? I'd say find what you love to do because not everyone fits into one category and there is so many options out there for us to be involved in. So find find what you love doing, find what your passion is and just just stick at it. It's not always going to go to plan, you know, but just stick at it because it gives you so many wonderful life lessons and life opportunities. You you meet so many wonderful people. Um, so, you know, if you if you find something that that you really really love, then it's amazing what what strengths that can help you uncover. What kind of challenges um, do you think? And we talked about social media. Young girls are facing, teenage girls are facing now that it's different to what you were facing when you were playing and as a teenager. Yeah, I think just, you know, social media, it's such a beast, isn't it? Mm. Like you you jump online and, and everyone seems to post the, you know, the rosy pictures and how life how great life is, which, you know, is is wonderful to be surrounded by positivity. But, you know, if if I if I reflect and, and look at my career, the biggest times that I learnt and saw the most growth in myself was through the challenges. My advice to, to young girls would be don't compare your journey with somebody else's journey. Mm. Run your own race because your own race starts at a different time to everyone else's. Your strengths are so different to everyone else's. And the minute you realise what strength sets you apart from everyone else the minute you start realising what you've really got to offer and the minute that you become confident owning your strengths and not feeling like you've got to fit into this category, I think that's where the magic really starts happening. But for me, the challenges when I look at our younger generation now is, you know, having to be too perfect all the time. Mm. Um, You know, 
looking amazing all the time um, because that's what we we constantly see. And that's not reality. Mm. That's just not what it's all about. You know, it's, you know, those dorky years where you look back (laughs) on photos and go, what was I wearing? What did my mum dress me in? That's, you know, it's, you look back and you laugh at it and you go, well, that was just me finding myself. So my advice to, to all those young girls out there is what you see on Instagram, what you see on the TV is not necessarily reality. And it's, it's okay not to be perfect. You'll find your feet and you will find your strength. And the sooner that you do that, the sooner that you'll really find where you fit. You say own your strengths, but own your differences as well. It's what makes you special and exactly. unique. Exactly. Team Girls, Suncorp Team Girls is all about like girls having each other's backs. But how can girls support each other both on and off the court? I think it's it's really interesting because we relate that to, you know, sport when we talk about teen girls and, and girls supporting girls to the young younger generation. And we say we were in a really um, interesting situation where we were on a team together, but we were natural, we were essentially competing against each other for a position out on court. So you think, how do I support someone if I want to be out on court in front of her, which is is what the competition, a healthy competition is all about. But what we realised, particularly with the Firebirds, is by strengthening each other, by helping each other to be the best versions of themselves, helps you be the best version of yourself. So Girls Supporting Girls is all about understanding that each other is on a different journey and that by that girl over there doing really well at what she owns and what she has directly benefits you and helps you become the best version of you. And it's an amazing thing when you see a team, and I just relate this back to obviously my experiences on the netball court. It's amazing when everyone is on the same page and everyone genuinely wants each other to do really well. And one moment I reflect on is the 2014 Commonwealth Games gold medal match in Glasgow. And every single girl on court that day had her very, very best performance of the entire competition. And it was just, it was just like watching this well-oiled machine. And the reason why that happened was because regardless of the girls that were sitting on the sideline that weren't necessarily on the court, they were just as passionate. They were just as parochial. They just wanted the same result as those girls out on court. Everyone was on the same page and everyone was happy to support each other to the extent that they had to for us to be the best possible team that we could be. And the reality was the girls that were sitting on the sideline, I remember Bianca Chatfield, she was the vice captain and and she was on the sideline for that game. But what she did in terms of how she brought the other girls on the sideline together and the role that she played there was just the most incredible thing to watch. And to be honest, had we have not had that synergy across, you know, the whole the whole group, I don't think we would have had the success that we did because we were in teams where where that just didn't happen and the result wasn't wasn't winning. So you hung up the purple dress after the 2016 grand final because it was after that game that you were going to become a mum. Did you know then that you'd be back? Um I th- I think yeah like when I when I said that um 
when I was obviously very early pregnant, I just naturally thought, yeah, like I'll be back if I'm not done with this yet. And Mm. then um, like any first mum, I think you have this little baby and um, your whole world is turned (laughs) upside down. So if you asked me a couple of weeks in, I always say I struggled to even get a load of washing washed and hung out. So to the thought of coming back Mm. and playing professional netball was a very, very far removed thought. And then, you know, I think I hit the probably three, four months mark and got my head around it and just knew that I wasn't completely done with netball Mm. um, and that, yeah, I I did want to return and play. And someone said to me, only retire when you've exhausted all your love for the game. And I just hadn't exhausted all my love for the game. So that was the the main reason as to why I wanted to come back and play. Because the Commonwealth Games was the ultimate goal for you at that stage, because it was a home Commonwealth Games in 2018 on the Gold Coast. Was there any stage you feared I may not get back into this side? Definitely. um, You think of the selectors and the coaches and they're in a position to, you know, making the Australian netball team is, is such a hard team to make. And the minute that you're out with injury or pregnancy, it's someone else's time to shine. Mm. And um, it doesn't matter what you've done. It's really up to your current performance. So for me, I didn't actually have... Um, the SSN season to prove myself um, because the Com Games was in April. So mm. that was, you know, the first event that I was returning to post having a baby was the Commonwealth Games. And then I mm. would then go into the season. So um, I sort of, I felt like that was really difficult for the coaches to select me on, you know, what they hadn't really seen. So even though you'd been a stable in the setup for so long and been the captain of, of the Diamonds, yeah, you still but, felt that. Well, that was prior to having a baby, mm. you know, so I, I that's not to say that, uh, you know, I, I think you can come back bigger and better after having a baby, but if, for them, there was no platform for them to see that. And it was just practice games and and monitor, monitoring how I was going training-wise more so than anything. Mm. And I even felt for myself that it would have been ideal to have a season under my belt, match, match play and coming up against, you know, other players, but that wasn't to be and, and I was just so thrilled to to be a part of that team even though we didn't win that gold medal. Mm. Um, yeah, it was, it was just really special to have Barney in the crowd, even though, again, he was too young to remember. <laughs> but he will look back and you, you set an example for, for Barney by fighting way back into that side. Um, you mentioned that Commonwealth Games um, final against England. It was a one-point thriller and you, Laura, have played so many one-point thrillers in so many levels of, of your career. How did it feel, though, to go down by one in your comeback at the home Commonwealth Games in that arena? It was obviously very, very disappointing. Um, Obviously, the bigger the occasion, the more it hurts. Um, But at the same time, I think while sport is and has been such a massive part of my life, I also have a very good perspective of what life is, is actually all about. And I think it hurts and stings at that time. But if you can walk away and you can say, well, I've got a house to go home to, I've got a car to drive and I've got a beautiful family around me and I've got everyone here that's important to me, then that's what really matters. And I think probably one big thing that I learned 
through sport was perspective and understanding what actually is really important in life. You know, I remember sitting beside one of the girls after we lost one of those grand finals and she was crying and she said, this is the worst day of my life. This is the worst thing that could ever happen to me. And I remember thinking, well, if this is the worst thing that can ever happen to you, you're doing pretty well. Um, (laughs) So yeah, it stings. Yeah, it's disappointing. You can be sad, but know that this is not (laughs) the worst thing that can happen to you. So I've always had that outlook in terms of, you know, when things don't go the way that you want them to go. Was leading and being a captain, did that come easy to you? Was that, were you always a natural leader? No, it was probably one of my most challenging moments through my career was um, taking over the leadership reins. Um, For the diamonds? Yeah, I think because all of a sudden I felt like I had this new title. I had to change everything about myself um, and be something that I wasn't. Mm. And, you know, when you start thinking you're comparing yourself to the likes of Liz Ellis and Natalie Von Berto and Sherelle McMahon, you feel like, well, these are the type of leaders they were. So that's who I have to be. And that's what I felt like in those early days. And things just didn't go to plan. You know, I I was benched in my first game as captain and I, I'm the only Australian, Australian captain to be benched in their debut game. Um, there was this sense of, am I the right person for the job? And, and that just wasn't me wondering that. It was Lisa Alexander, the coach and the players. And, you know, it was a really, really challenging time. Um, Lisa had the conversation with me surrounding, you know, authenticity and the reason you're in this position is for the work that you've done in the lead up to. So don't go changing now. Mm. And that stayed with me forever. And again, it's it's working to your strengths. I'm not Liz Ellis. I'm not Cheryl McMahon. I'm not Natalie Von Berto. I'm me and I have a different set of skills than what they do, but it doesn't mean I can't be a successful leader. So I always liken leadership to going to uni. You can do so much learning and you can have so much advice from previous leaders and people that will help you with leadership, just like you can go to uni and learn so much about the field that you're going to enter into. But when you're out there getting the real experience and living it and it's up to you and you have the mm. the moments that don't work out um, and you fall on your face um, and then you have those breakthrough moments where you go, give yourself a high five. I can't <laughs> believe I just did that. That's what leadership is about. It's about learning in the in the real workplace and that's where the most experience comes from. You've also been immortalised in bronze as a statue outside the Brisbane Entertainment Centre, which has now been relocated to the Firebirds' new home at the Queensland State Netball Centre. But tell me, how did it feel that first time you saw that bronze statue of yourself? It's a bloody good statue too. (laughs) Yeah, it's such a... I never know how to answer this question, Sam. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's a humble side coming out. It's just such a... um, I actually, when I got told that there was poten- the potential of a statue, it was after, I think it was after the 2016 grand final. And I actually thought it was the girls having a go at me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, to see that statue for me makes me more proud to see 
like my mum's reaction to that. And I think because they're such a massive part of the journey, just like your junior coaches are, just like your teammates are, just like everyone that's made your journey possible behind the scenes that don't get seen. That to me, that statue to me represents all of those people that have been a part of my journey. And uh, I think probably I had a bit of a moment last year when I was out at um, the new stadium for netball and I I had Barney with me and I, I showed him, you know, this is this is mummy. Like, and he was like, whatever. It's like just some strange lady with her um, arm up in the air. And it was so funny because I actually overheard a lady that was at one of the games meeting a friend and she said, oh, I'll just meet you. Where should I meet you? And she looks around and she sees the statue and she goes, oh, just near that, like, statue. I don't know what that statue oh. is. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought, that's great. Thank you. That was, I was getting away with myself going, this is amazing bronze statue, but thanks lady. It's just, you know, uh, it's just, yeah, yeah. Brought me back down to earth, but it is, um, it's just, it's so nice to, to be able to take Barney and, and the, you know, the kids out there when they're old enough to understand and, and show them that this was a large part of, of my life before you guys came along. So that's when I'll, I'll be really proud of it, I think. And he's only three now, so he's going to get older and he's going to understand it a little bit more, (laughs) but, um, but then does it just get to the point where it's really uncool and he's like, mom, we're not going to see (laughs) his statue again. We've seen it 20 times. And everyone else says when they go to the netball, I'll meet you by the Laura Guite statue. (laughs) Just like they meet when you go to Suncorp Stadium and meet by the Wally Lewis statue. Yeah. But he's like, no, I'll just, I'll just, that, that statue of a lady. That's what he'll say. Well, Laura, we, we finish every episode by asking our guests, what advice would you give to your 10-year-old self? The girl that was nicknamed LG, you're still nicknamed LG, but the one that was LG for Little Giraffe, what would you tell little Laura Geitz? I tell little Laura Geitz that what you disliked most about yourself becomes your biggest strength um, and just to, to be kind to yourself, understand what sets you apart from everyone else and own it. Laura, thank you for being a part of On Her Game. Thanks, Sam. On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Lindsay Green. Audio producer, Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. For more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au, download the free Podcast One Australia app or search On Her Game Podcast.